0: Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu Melechah Asher bakar bim vi'im tovim Ve ratza ve divrehim ha ne'amarim be'emet Baruch atah Adonai Haboker batora uv Moshe Avdo uv Yisrael Amo uv Ha ha'emet Vazedic Bizkut uv Mashiach Yeshua Amen Amen Welcome everyone to the Haftarah Get You Some Hasis and I are here and we are thankful to Hashem for His Torah and uh, since we're diving into the essence of Mashiach we're in Par Shavayetze and about to get us some so go ahead on do your thing Hasis
1: Alright, Brook Shem so there we start Start out of course we're in the, the Haftarah we're going to be reading from the Ashkenaz uh, section, this half Torah. And so we're looking at like Hoshia 12 through like 14.
0: All right.
1: So a little, little backdrop to our half Torah as far as setting and, and time, time frame. Of course, in the book of Hoshia, this is the, the prophet. And he brings his message to Israelites of the northern kingdom. And this is about the middle of the 8th century BCE, uh, during the period of this kingdom's decline. Mm. And so, he lives at this time of of great difficulty and uncertainty uh, within the northern kingdom. And there's actually a continuing situation of political struggle. There's the leaders of the northern kingdom who do not understand that there is a terrible threat that's coming from Assyria. Ooh. And so, Hosea, of course, being the Navi, a prophet, he sees this possible doom ahead for the the kingdom, and he's trying to alert them of the wrongdoings against Hashem, and the penalty they're going to have to pay if they do not change their ways ways for the better. Wow! And so, this is, you know, he he mentions, uh, therefore, they shall be as the morning cloud, as the dew that pass away, and the chaff that is driven by the wind out of the threshing floor, and the smoke out of the Mm window. And so just kind of the prophecy that section of the prophecy that he's delivering to them. You kind of see the the struggle and the conflict within the northern kingdom, and then with Hosea, and how he's trying to warn them of this impending doom unless they turn back to Hashem. I'm
0: very much a right. look out if we don't change our ways.
1: <laughs> yes. And i actually like bring bring something down from that's a frame uh, about okay. this this section it's called tre um, ashar the book of the twelve prophets and this was actually um, there's all these individual scrolls about how it came to be like the twelve prophets mm-hmm. so there's all these individual scrolls that were small and they might have been easily replaced or misplaced I should say um, so the utterances, all the words of these two... Oh,
0: got a little alarm action going on.
1: Specifically, it was by the last three prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, who we talked about last portion. Mm-hmm. And so they, they were... Um, contemporary with the beginning period of the second temple, and so they composed uh, composed this whole book of the twelve prophets. Which Hosea is the the first and foremost um, of these prophets. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're wondering where we get the idea of, of where how we how we lump these these twelve prophets together, it was it was so it was composed by the Mini-Great assembly, uh, specifically these last three prophets that mentioned who composed it. So these scrolls wouldn't be misplaced or or we wouldn't have lost them.
0: Wow. So our last three prophets, just to recap, is Hosea, uh, Malachi, and who else?
1: It's it's Haggai, oh, Haggai. Zechariah, and Malachi, and these are these are three prophets who who were part of the Great Assembly and eventually composed this and put it all together.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: So I thought it was interesting. To, figure we'd uh, give Malachi is, uh, a shout out, since we talked about him last half Torah.
0: That's right. So.
1: He was instrumental in getting this stuff together. Yes. Mm. <laughs> All right. So let's go into um, a little bit about Hoshia, son of Beri, the Hanavi, the prophet. Okay. And he is actually the senate of Reuven, the firstborn. Mm. And we've, we mentioned this uh, back a while ago, a few half Torahs we did, that since the Holy One says, said to him, you were the first to repent. By your life, your descendant will be the first to urge repentance. This refers to Hoshia, who said, Return, O Israel. That's what uh, the Holy One said to Reuben. Wow. So Reuben was the first one to repent proper to like the Shuva out of love, and instead of like Cain and, and all, all these others who repented purely out of the fear of, of being punished, Reuben repented out of sincere love and devotion to Hashem.
0: So that's where that comes from. Yes. Because I always wondered, there was the sources that said that Reuven was the first to do shuva, and it was just like, but there were people who did shuva before him. But it's mm-hmm. like, aha, it wasn't out of love, though.
1: It's the, the motive, the, the kavanah, the intention of the, the act of repentance itself. That's and legit. Reuben set the bar. He set the bar. So
0: nice. Because bar is sun, so the sun...
1: Uh, <laughs> yes, he, he literally set the bar <laughs> uh, There's four prophets who prophesied during one period This is Hoshia, uh, Yeshia, Amos, and Micah It says the greatest of them was Hoshia Who is also the first of the four to prophesy Pesachim 87a And he, he prophesied for 90 years wow. And says for 90 years The Holy One, blessed be He, forewarned Israel through Hoshia
0: 90?
1: 90 years. Some
0: people don't even live that long.
1: <laughs> yeah. He definitely lived beyond 90 years, though. Wow. You know?
0: So Hashem is long-suffering, long to say suffering. the least.
1: Yes. <laughs> okay. Um. So there's this last thing over here about Hoshia. It says from Shabbos 55a with commentary of Sofot. It says, when did the merit of the patriarchs cease to protect their descendants? It says, Rav, in the days of Hoshia bin Bari. And it says, even according to those who hold that the merit of the patriarch ceased, nevertheless, the covenant made with the patriarchs continues to protect their descendants. And wow. so it mentions that the whole uh, merit of the patriarch ceased in, in Hoshia's day. Um, but what continued to protect them was the Brit. It was the covenant. Mm. And so if you actually look at that, that whole idea, it has the Gemachia of uh, 612. Mm-hmm. Of course, you add the sum, you get 613, yes. you know, for each, each of the commandments. Wow. And so you have the idea of the Torah that protected them, even after the merit of the patriarch ceased. And that's why it's urging them, come back to the Torah, come back to the covenant, because that's the only way you're going to pre- be protected by Ooh. these nations who are coming to devour you.
0: Wow, that was Yofi right there. Man.
1: Protected right.
0: by the Torah. I love it.
1: Protected by it got to be in the covenant. It's like being in the walls of a, a fortified city, mm. you know. We have one other other character if you will, and it's it's the tribe of Ephraim who's mentioned. Mm. And so I figured we kind of go back to their father, the the father of the tribe of Ephraim, Ephraim, of course. Okay. Who was a son of Yosef, and Ephraim was actually the son who informed Yosef that Yaakov was ill. Oh. And said, so, Behold, your father is ill. Ephraim, who used to study Torah with yakov told Yosef of his father's illness from Tankuma, by key six. He, he humbled himself, stayed out of the affairs of the government. Um, he was the younger. Uh, this literally refers to him him humbling himself yet again. And then he had this very, very special connection with, with Yaakov, his grandfather. And he was actually crowned by our, uh, Yaakov Avinu as he was about to depart this world. Yaakov said to him, Ephraim, whoever is the head of a tribe, the head of an academy, the finest and the best of my sons, i.e., any judge or prince shall be called by your name, oh. i.e., he shall be called Ephraethite, as it states, my precious son Ephraim, Jeremiah, who, Jeremiah 31 19 from Baikarabah 2 3.
0: Wow, incredible. And
1: so we're called by Ephraim's name, which is, is incredible. So we're also called by Yehuda, Yehuda's name. Mm hmm. Right? That's why we're referred to as, as Jews, Yehudim. right? those who praise Yehudim, mm. right? but we're also referred by Ephraim's name. Wow. It's very, very interesting because you have in there this, this subtle hint to the whole two Mashiachs, Mashiach ben Yosef, mm. Ephraim is attached to Yosef, and Mashiach ben David, who is of the lineage of Yehuda. <laughs>
0: So the Jews, or like a Jew, basically is encompassed by the two Mashiachs.
1: Yes, the whole identity of a Jew is encompassed by the two Mashiachs. And that's really what we talked about like last time. Who was this Malachi? Who was this messenger, this angel, if you will? Right. Um, and how this Malachi was, was, was involved in all the lives of the forefathers, in the lives of Moshe and the children of Israel through the Exodus, mm. and even coming to the prophets and proclaiming them, news about miraculous birth or, or what have you so the whole identity is wrapped up in these two mashiachs
0: you know what i love one. about that is captain Yisrael on the third aliyah covered that at the end of his drosh oh that's for, amazing for this week's torah portion so if you are on anchor everyone go over to rabbi mordecai griffin and subscribe and listen to bayate third aliyah he goes into more detail on that. So that's really cool that we came across that. <laughs> awesome. That was All a right. shameless plug. I'm, I'm, I'm shameless
1: plug. Man. Do it. Plug it in. <laughs> <laughs> so this this whole idea of I, I, I wanted to emphasize that point of Ephraim and a special connection to Yahoo. Because beginning at the the, the first part of, of this section this this custom, to read the, the Ashkeniz, Ashkenaz custom of mm-hmm. the half tour where it begins, mm-hmm. 12.13, he says, When Yaakov fled from his brother Esau to Lavan, who lived in the field of Amran, he was a pauper. Asan's son had robbed him from all his possessions. Israel, another name for Yaakov, had no choice but to work to acquire a wife, Rachel. He guarded Lavan's sheep in order to receive another wife, since Lavan gave him Leah instead of Rachel. When Yaakov... Arrived in Lavan's home, he was penniless and his prospects looked grimly indeed. He paid for the privilege of marriage with fourteen years of hard labor, during which his father-in-law Lavan consistently tried to cheat him out of his wages. And the commentary goes on to talk about how he was—he became a wealthy man, and how did such enormous change take place? And Midrash quotes that Yaakov um, meticulously guarded all six hundred thirteen
0: mitzvot. Oh, Amen.
1: And so this is what brought blessing and protection uh, in the service of Lavin. And so you could kind of see, knowing this background of Ephraim and Yaakov, their special relationship, you can go on and see when he, he later goes on to rebuke Ephraim, and then later talks about if they'll repent, they'll, they'll be delivered. You can kind of see why he's placing Yaakov. First of all, because there's a special relationship. He's like, remember back to, to, to the one whose name you are called by Ephraim. And remember their dear, the dear relationship with him and his father. Remember how he humbled himself. Remember how he was the one to inform Yosef of his illness. He was the one who studied in his tents. Like, there's like, he's developing this emotional connection. And then he goes on talking about how, how Yaakov survived being with Lavin. And Lavin was idolatry. Um, you see that definitely from this, this Torah portion, Laetze. Uh, and so he's giving them a clue. He's telling them, go back to the Torah. Go back and read the Torah. How did Yaakov, your special father, how did he, how did he survive his exile? How did he survive in idolatry? He kept the entire Torah. He guarded it with his life, and that's what you need to do. And so that's that's why he, why I believe, uh, Hoshia starts with Yaakov, and he starts with Yaakov specifically in Lavin's house. Because they're in a very, very similar situation. situation, And this is always a good rule. It's like whenever you're trying to reach out to people, trying to have them turn their ways, you want to give them a point of connection. That's right. Or give a, always a point of connection to turn back. Man. So that's how this half Torah, at least uh, for the Ashkenaz custom, that's where it begins. And so obvious connections right there with the half Torah and Torah. Uh, so you can see kind of why... Uh, the sages implemented this reading for it. Anyway, it goes in talking about um, the prophet, mentions this prophet and Midrash says it's referring to Moshe and then later on will be redeemed by Eliyahu, will be guarded by the prophet Eliyahu, deliver us out of our current exile.
0: <laughs> Eliyahu and Moshe yes. <laughs>
1: are confused. <laughs> uh-huh. And who did uh, Mashiach have to his Left into his right, man. Eliyahu, Hoshea. These are the prophets that Hoshea is referencing right now. <laughs> in the in twelve fourteen.
0: That's insane.
1: Now yeah, we're gonna read the verse thirteen one, and with this is with the Midrash commentary inside of it. All right, because um, it mentions this kind of vague description of Ephraim and all all this ideas. So I'm going to go ahead and read that, this, and we're going to go and follow up into a story time.
0: Oh, nice.
1: All right, so, 13.1. Yerevam, from the tribe of Ephraim, spoke words of reproof to King Shlomo with trembling, for it was indeed courageous of him to remonstrate with a king. Hashem rewarded him with becoming elevator in Israel. Hashem appointed him as a ruler over the kingdom of the ten tribes. However, when he became guilty of Baal worship, he was punished with death. Not only was he killed with his family doomed to extinction, but he also suffered spiritual death for he was denied a shared in Lam Haba. And so there's this king and it, it, in the, the half Torah, just from the text, it just mentions Ephraim. But there's a specific reference going on here. And it's it's this whole relationship, this whole uh, situation between uh, Yeravan mm-hmm. and King Shlomo and there's this question that it, that it asks. It says, when did Yeruvaham reprove, reprove King Shlomo?
0: When?
1: All right. So it's, now it's time for a...
0: Story, story time. time.
1: Cool. A solid wall surrounded the city of Yerushalayim. Anyone wishing to enter the city had to pass through its gates. Before Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, when throngs of Jews were visited, the lines of the gates became exceedingly long. In order to make things easier for the crowds of visitors to Jerusalem, King David ordered his servants to make many openings in the wall. This would significantly shorten the time people had to wait in line. King Shlomo, who succeeded his father David, presided over a splendid court. His wisdom and magnificent lifestyle helped make Hashem's name famous in the whole world. But this splendor was very costly and needed financing. Therefore, Shlomo ordered a toll to be levied on everyone who entered the gate of Jerusalem and he closed the extra openings in the city's walls. He used the new, newly available wall space to build a castle for his wife, King Pharaoh's daughter, and for his servants. So that's the the Shlomo toll. One of Shlomo's officers, Yerevim, from the tribe of Ephraim, felt that the king's actions was wrong. He would discourage Jews from visiting Beit by making it much more difficult to enter the city. Putting his own life in danger, Yerevim decided to present the subject to King Shlomo himself. Your father broke the wall to make it easier for the Jews to reach the Beah Mekdash. He said to the king in front of all the people. How can you close it for the convenience of Pharaoh's daughter? Yervon's protest was valid, but he was wrong for humiliating the king in public. So there's there's one example of his rebuking Somo and there's another another section of story time we're going into.
0: Wow, double story time. Double story time. Well, I guess that's fitting, since Ephraim is the firstborn, and he gets the double portion, so...
1: There's that. You know. Oh, you getting spiritual. <laughs> <laughs> King Shlomo had completed the building of the Bayam-Mikdash, and a nargo celebration was arranged. On the evening before it was to take place, King Shlomo placed the keys of the main gate under his pillow before he went to sleep, but his wife, the one who was Pharaoh's daughter, and whom we have met in the previous story, has served him strong wine during dinner, causing the king to oversleep the next morning. Masses of Jews were eagerly waiting at the temple's gate for the king to come so that the daily service could begin. But who would dare to wake the sleeping king? Only Yerevom was bold enough to do what had to be done. He gathered a thousand people to support him and challenged Shlomo's guards to let him into the king's bedroom. Seeing that they were outnumbered, the guards allowed him to pass. Fearlessly, Yerevom entered the king's room and address the king. Do we have to pay a tax to Pharaoh's daughter for the privilege of attaining the keys to Be'ad Mikdash? Ooh. The crowds are waiting impatiently for their king. Hashem said, What do you, Yeravom, know about the temptations of royalty? I will give you a taste of kingship, and then you will see whether you can manage it better than Shlomo. And he goes, After Shlomo's death, the prophet proclaimed, Yeravom king over the ten tribes. And so this is how Yeravom uh, Yerevan became king so on one hand you have this, this wonderful aspect of him that he was willing to put his life in danger he was willing to boldly challenge him on account of the people the sages frowned upon him not because what he did but because how he did it Mm-mm. he publicly humiliated Shlomo um, in, the se- in the first story right in front of all the people in the second story he, the way he addressed him was really harsh and humiliating, degrading, and you're supposed to have reverence for your king. You're supposed to have reverence for anyone who's put in authority because that authority was set up, set up by Hashem. And so they, they frown at him for that. And so it actually goes on. Remember, our, our Haftor says he served Baal. Right? So it goes on to to say what Yeruvam did.
0: Oh, snap. This is like airing Dirty Laundry. Like yeah. you do not want this. <laughs> this <laughs> is like the <laughs> "Don't Get You Some" section.
1: <laughs> it's from the Bible, so it's kosher.
0: <laughs> oh, oh my goodness!
1: <laughs> there's a there's a moral lesson in it. So there's a there's a there's a goodness to reading this and knowing mm-hmm. about it.
0: <laughs> That's right, Gamzu. get it,
1: Gamzu. All right, so there was Shlomo's son, Rachavam. He became. He was uh, leading the the tribe of, like, the whole section of Yehuda, the territory of that. self so. And Yerevan (laughs) began to worry (laughs) that his subjects might rebel against him for traveling to the Bayam Mikdash to offer their sacrifices. See, when when King uh, Rehavam was seated in the Azara, the court, this this was a privilege granted only to the members of King David's family, being seated in the court. Come on you know, think of, you know, Yeshua, young Yeshua, Yeshua. Sitting, sitting. sitting, do you want to bring that down real quick?
0: Yes. Oh, you want me to do it?
1: Yeah. Oh. Go ahead, man.
0: Well, all right. Stand by. Uh, hang on here.
1: I can let you load it up. I don't okay. mean to put you on the spot completely, man. Sorry.
0: Well, I'm I mean, fit. I, I want to source it out, but definitely there are a few times. Where it mentions him, and I'll, I'll just pull those up while you're going.
1: Okay, awesome. Okay, the, he was worried he that they would see his rival, this king, Shlomo's king, sitting at the court, reminding them that he was a a son of David, Mm-mm. and so they would have a this reminder that he didn't have any royal lineage, that the king they had did not have any royal lineage, and so this is what he feared that they will be they will betray him. And so out of this fear, he built his own, quote-unquote, temples of worship. He set one in Dan and the other in Bethel. Mm. He then convinced the people that God's spirit would rest on these golden calves that he set up in each temple.
0: No, he didn't.
1: Yes, this is that guy. And so he literally laid the foundation for all future idol worship that would become rampant in the kingdom of the ten tribes. And so literally you have this, you have the stories unfolding, this haftwar, you see this progression. And so Yehoshia, it's almost like this this poetic description, this poetic timeline of how they've regressed. He's given them their step-by-step regressions of their past so they could make steps back, make takoons for what, what they've done until they return back to being the beloved son of Yaakov. So this is how Hosea is literally laying it down for him. You know, a lot of times we just kind of look at the prophet as just a guy going and giving rebukes to people, but we we I think we we lose the the beauty and the intention within the structure of how they did that. And so here he is, and there's there's a valuable lesson for that. Here he gives gives them a point of connection, and then he starts with where where it all really went wrong. This whole fear. This whole fear of losing their power, losing their place of authority, you know, being subservient to someone else.
0: I mean, you know, and uh, what's it called? Uh, people have insecurities. Yes. And so, you know, that's definitely speaking to that point for sure.
1: Um, yes, I, th- I think that's a, that's a great, great practical way to, to, to hit on it. There's these insecurities. And so the question comes down is, how are you going to feel that? How are you going to fill that up? Is it through making, making these images and, and instilling value in what you want to say is valuable? Or do you want to take, get back into the covenant and allow that merit to protect you and to guide you and restore what's lacking in, in your life or what you feel might be lacking in your life? All right. Well, let me know when you got it. If not, I I'm going to continue through this next part. All right. Perfect.
0: All right. So first one, Matityahu, Matthew, uh, Matai, some people call him. Uh, is Matthew twenty six fifty five, 55. Mashiach Yeshua is put on blast and he's just like, hold up. Because every day I sat in the temple and I was teaching. So what was the beef? I saw none. Now there's beef and we're not even talking about the fact that I was sitting in the temple. So you're really being a Yeruvon right now. And I guess you're okay with that because I guess you forgot what happened to him. But that's the elucidated. Sorry. Okay. Um, then the the second one, the second witness to the court, and that's all will be Luke 246. The story that you were alluding to about Mashiach Yeshua as a young boy, aka Anar, was sitting in the temple. In the midst of the Torah teachers, and it's interesting because if you just read it at face value without understanding the context, without the knowledge of when you're in the temple, everyone's standing. The only person allowed to sit is the king. You would think, oh yeah, of course the teachers are sitting. Everybody's sitting, teaching Torah. Like it's like no, no, no. Right now, the living Torah is sitting like on a bema, sitting. <laughs> and people are standing around him and and there's teaching going on yes and so it really evokes this picture of what it's like in our shul on synagogue or on shabbat well anytime we pull the Torah scroll out really it's like we're sitting around yeshua or standing around yeshua teaching and and talking and well not talking mundane conversations but droshing you know yes and so now as we're putting all this together, I will definitely not look at the, uh, <laughs> the Seder of our service now the same again. Cause it's like, I'm going to be like, there's Yeshua sitting and we're standing right now and reading the Torah <laughs> at the Beamer.
1: This <laughs> is amazing. So man, you know, the more, more, more depth. Um, you can go into doing the things you do constantly, like little things like, like like what you mean, just mentioned the service service of the synagogue, or what we mentioned like last half tour about the three steps we date we take back mm. during the Amida
0: mm.
1: before mm. we talk about the structure of the temple, anytime you could you could kind of look into that and have a little meditation that's going to like and meditate on that uh, that's really going to strengthen strengthen Amunah, um, you know man. and so that's that's a I love that you brought that that point up.
0: Incredible and I just want to make sure that we don't get crazy because We can hear this information and this is really during a time of service where we're reading from the Bema And so the congregation is allowed to sit but I just want to bring up the fact that The synagogue itself where we're at is not the temple courtyard so when the Rebbe says that we are free to sit that doesn't mean everybody needs to be just standing up.
1: You know? Yes, thank you for that clarification.
0: So, like that—that's not where this applies. I'm just saying, within the context of just thinking about being standing at the bema, reading from the Torah scroll,
1: and, and that was that. Um, I'm sorry. Go
0: ahead. No, I, I was just saying, just kind of keeping it there. Not saying that the whole shul now better stand up. <laughs> so don't don't get that confused or twisted. You know, would
1: you, would you mind repeating the verse from Mattathai, Messiahhu?
0: That is twenty six fifty five. So yeah. So I mean, I I just think that's uh, incredible. You know, thinking about you know Mashiach and how he sat to confirm that. You know, and that's what's going on in here, in our and our teaching in the Haftarah. So Shuk Hashem Were well, you gonna read <laughs> yeah. Matthew twenty
1: yeah, six? Well, no. I mean, you did you did an excellent job. That reference, I appreciate that oh, like okay. so much.
0: You're tabbing. okay.
1: But it's it's interesting because it it brings down this kind of question, and you know, this is just on prompty. But while we're here, all right, you know, it brings down this question of why did they accept him when he was in the temple, like in the temple t- teaching, right? When he was young, but sure. why do they not accept him now? Man. <laughs> so yes, there's there's this there's this huge hint of of, uh, of, of jealousy, right, they, they, they knew that he was of this line of, of David, right, that he was the rightful king, and so they ended up trying to take his life. But if you look at them with him sitting, him sitting in the, in the temple, they're acknowledging him as Ben David, as of the lineage of David. Mm-hmm. But right here, when they're trying to capture him, it's, it's in the, where they're trying to capture him, They halt, they set him up completely. And now he's he's been Yosef at this point. <laughs> so they're willing to accept him when they thought he was Ben David, the one who was going to redeem them externally and deliver them from the Romans. But you always find it it's hard for them to accept at this point, the majority of the public to accept, once they realize that he's there to kinda like the the prophets, turn them back, turn their hearts back to Torah and then redeem them internally.
0: Wow. So I'm pretty sure that you just elucidated that in your insights from the Haftarah about these two calves. That it's the externalities that everybody was okay with and Uh um, being uh, propagated like, no, this is great. This is good. You know, it's like, yeah, Hashem's spirit is going to rest on these idols because... If they're willing to accept Mashiach ben David without accepting Mashiach ben Yosef, not only have you divided up the Mashiach, but you've also removed the identity, the essence of who Mashiach truly is because you don't have a Mashiach ben David without a Mashiach ben Yosef or vice versa. Which means the acceptance that they portrayed for him when he was sitting in the courts and they didn't do anything as long as he met their standards, it was cool but then when he got out of quote-unquote line, they were not cool with that, and that's the same thing that you're bringing up here about what's going on with Yeravon and Rehavon and starting out with you know, going against Melek Shlomo and rebuking him, like everything was cool till he got out of line
1: yeah it was. He, he, was, he lost his, his inner essence, if you will. It's like before, it's like he was his arguments were all for the people. And later on, his arguments and his decisions were all for himself. He no longer thought of the people. He thought of himself. So, okay. incredible, incredible insights, Aki.
0: You as well. Thank, Thank you. To we have in verse
1: 2 of 13... This is where the commentary included. But now the people of Sin, beyond worshipping Yeravam's golden calves, they made for themselves pocket-sized images from silver, mm. shaped like the images originally made by Yeravam, which they carry around all the time. And Arsene's work, about which they say, who are kisses the miniature calves, is considered as great if he had brought human sacrifice to them. And so it's, it's talking about how they've, they've, they've sunken so low that you know, like like we mentioned earlier, Hoshia's giving them like a timeline where it all went went. And now he's talking, telling them, where you are now that is whenever or whenever you, like one of these one of the, the, the Jews would hear the mention of idol's name, they would pull out this little pocket sized image and they would kiss it.
0: Like a mezuzah?
1: Like a mezuzah, maybe like the, the zitzits oh. and the the very blessing of the Shema. And so Or to yeah, you know we kiss them, them to kiss them and you take them out or put them up
0: mm.
1: you know so maybe maybe all this act of kissing hitting on the table kissing it in the cotton hamazon, kissing the Tefillin as you put them up kissing the the zit seat oh wow maybe this is an act of the coon for what we did in our past
0: all right Toda satah for joining us tonight appreciate <laughs> your insights you may now uh exit the podcast
1: <laughs> and just this disclaimer that's not from the half tour it's just uh, a possible possible insight of, of why we do this. Uh, but
0: so. I you know, honestly, we we didn't source that out, but just making the connections, following the bouncing ball over the words as as our Rebbe said. You know, uh, <laughs> I I think that's an incredible elucidation, you know, to tacoon because we know everything we're doing is a tacoon. Making hollow the the woman making hala every week is tacooning for a uh, Haba bringing the forbidden fruit to her husband. I'll kiss that hala too. Right. And then I'll eat it. Boy, <laughs> you, boy you better believe it. So I mean it's not it's not far from the stretch of the imagination. So I, I think that's actually incredible that you brought that up, so.
1: <laughs> and so this begs the question. So we talked about, you know, these possible tacoon that we do now, but kind of begs the question of, how did we get so far? Right. You know, he's mentioning Ephraim. Like, you went from the beloved son of Yaakov, the one who was studying in his tents, the one who was so close to him, you actually informed his son of your grandfather's illness. Mm. The one who your, this, this, your grandfather really blessed you with these beautiful blessings and said, everyone's going to be called by your name. Like, how did, you, how did we get so far to this point? Wow, and so there's two reasons the Midrash brings down it gave them pleasure the pretty simple understanding uh, that this this like anytime there's something's pleasurable generally people are conditioned to make that a habit and always seek that out and then two definitely something that's that's practical for a day as well it gave them a license to relax their standards in other areas of morality danger and so a little point here is whenever one throws off the strict yoke of Torah in one area, it does not take too long for other prohibitions to appear permissible too. And the Ramchal in Mishlat Yashrim actually brings down a solution to this. And, you know, we kind of get a hint of it in this, this, this Parsha about ascending and descending on the ladder, right? right. There's almost this, this elucidation to, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter where you are on that ladder as long as you are ascending. And not descending and so Ramkal he brings out this 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 like this, this trait we should strive for and that's this is alacrity and it translates to alacrity lack this readiness and this eagerness to serve and so if you you feel like you're you're stagnant or you're regressing or you want to progress you want to develop more more either fear of hashem or more dedication to him then you you speed up your movement to do a mitzvah well it's getting up earlier Uh, to pray whether that's you know you hear a uh, a friend needs help with this or that or someone needs help with this or that you're eager to volunteer and help them out Um, anything like that or maybe it's studying Torah either alone or or with a group it's like this readiness to to go for it and pursue that this will be the the solution for this lack this lack of 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 energy, or this, this, this laxness in all areas of serving Hashem—that's your solution.
0: As you say that, I'm hearing Avraham, Avraham, Avraham. It's it's no it's no coincidence at all because that's not even a a Hebrew word. That you know Hashem had hope that creation would be tikkun through Abraham because he embodies everything that you just mentioned as far as what is the solution? Yes. I mean, his 10 uh, trials, like, what was that?
1: <laughs> yes. You know? It mentions, it mentions in, in the Midrash that he actually, he himself jumped into the fire. He wasn't placed in there. He jumped into the fire.
0: Um, oh man. Because he
1: didn't want anyone to doubt that he had a Luna in a uh. shim. That's a lacquerie that we all need to strive for. And this is, this is really why, you know, this, this half tour starts out with, you know, Who's your daddy?
0: Oh my word! You
1: know who? Who is your daddy? Who is your father? Um, and Hashem gave us these these wonderful sadekim throughout Scripture, so that we have almost like these these mediators, if you will, in order to these beautiful pictures that it can it can be achieved, and this is how you do it. Go back to how these men live their lives. Go back to how they survived being in a world filled with with idolatry and evilness and wickedness. You know Abraham being the only Jew, him and Sarah. You know, <laughs> you know Yaakov going into the house of Lavan.
0: Man, you said at the beginning of this podcast, whenever you're trying to communicate with someone, it's always good to have a point of reference. Yes. So these Zadikim that we're talking about, looking back to, they're points of reference. Yes. They we we're not experiencing new situations. They have different. Uh, clothings, but there's the same situation. There's still idolatry. There's still <laughs> darkness. So, like, let's grab these points of reference and let's go. Yes, man. All right.
1: And I would like to kind of uh, just to kind of take take back a step, and and mention that uh, what the midrash brings down here that we are in absolutely no position to judge. The jews who lived in those days we can learn a lesson from them but we're in no position to judge them
0: <laughs>
1: because the men of the great assembly saw the attraction to idol worship it was so severe in that day it was it was ridiculous there's like this increased desire to serve idols that can't be explained we can't fathom it today mm. because they joined together and actually eradicated the attraction to idol worship.
0: Come on. Are you about so, to bring out that, that whole account?
1: I mean, if, if you want to elucidate that, I'll, I'll give you the mic. Wow. You know, I was just going to simply mention that, that these great men eradicated the attraction to idol worship, and that's why we don't have that today. So we have them to thank for that.
0: Wow. Yeah, there was uh, a passage of Talmud. I can't remember the source, but uh, Stav Soldat and I were talking about it. And uh, it was basically how the Yetahara was prayed away. Basically, like the they were able to get rid of the Yetahara, and they had to bring it back because once the Yetahara was gone, nobody wanted to work. <laughs> and it was just like, okay, we got a bunch of people that won't work, but they're not sinning. <laughs> like, but they're not being productive. <laughs> so it's interesting because that was tied to what you're saying about removing that level of, uh, the idol worship, because that was part of removing the yetahara. So obviously we, we have a yetahara, They had to bring it back, but it didn't come back with idol worship being like the main thing. So
1: yes, that's true. Love that.
0: Continue on, please.
1: Okay, so we we've probably heard of uh, molech offerings before.
0: Yeah, it's nothing to get fired you know, up about.
1: De- definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a bit it's a bit childish.
0: Oh,
1: that, that might be too soon. Yeah, <laughs> too soon.
0: We, we can take a hands on approach though, and
1: <laughs> all right. So we have this this phrase: V'yasu lehim masaka. tam. And according to the Midrash, this describes two idolatrous rites. The Molech rite, and then the, the other type of worship, where the priests would seek out, seek out rich people and deceive them. And so, you know, we been talking about idol worship, I kind of go into uh, details, we have a, a more of an understanding of what would happen in these evil idolatrous practices. So we kind of get a fuller picture of what's going on and how, how deep they were steeped into this mess. So it mentions the Molech statue, it had a calf face, human arms spread out as if to receive its victim. There were seven chambers set up before this quote-unquote god. Each wor- worshiper was granted, every, uh, it granted entry according to the importance of his sacrifice. For so those who ordered or, uh, offered a bird, a goat, a lamb, a calf, a bull an ox, Um, the person willing to sacrifice his child was considered by the priest to achieve the highest favor with this god. He was admitted to the innermost seventh chamber. There he would kiss the god. This is meant by our pasuk, Zovche adam agalim yashkun. Those who brought human sacrifice would kiss the Moloch statue. Mm -hmm. This is one of the interpretations of the verses, the, the natrocious aspect what they would do you know they, not only were they just burning their children but they made it an honor they made it the highest honor and so they really manipulated the minds of the people like you want the highest highest honor then you're gonna have to offer this wow. and so they made it the greatest thing to do the greatest offering then the other idea which is it's almost comical if it wasn't so you know sick and idolatrous right but these these priests would make images that resembled uh, the rich people and they would place the images in front of these live calves, these live cows that the rich people worshipped. Hmm. So next, they would starve the calves and one of those rich people approached to, to worship the calves. When they would approach him, the calves would recognize him from the image and they would run after licking him, begging him for food. Wow! And So the priests would come out very deceitful, see how the gods love you. They desire you for a sacrifice, therefore they kiss you. And so in practice, these rich people will redeem themselves with, with money, you know, instead of sacrificing their life, they give money. And that's how these idolatrous priests became rich. And so in this context, the pastuk uh, that we talked about, those chosen as human sacrifice were kissed, shown favor by the calf gods. This is another way to interpret it.
0: Okay, I I hate interrupting you. Okay, hate is no, a strong
1: no, word, no, but
0: I... Okay. No, it's not, it's so, the same <laughs> thing is happening today. This is a don't-get-you-some moment, like, of epic proportions. Really? Yes, because, you know, we just learned from the Humash uh, in last week's Parshad that the hatred that was harbored in Aesop for his brother, Yaakov, for stealing his blessing and then getting blessed to go off and find a wife, like a double hatred, is connected with a festival called Saturnalia, which is kind of like the great-grandfather of Xmas, i.e. the day perpetrated as December 25th. So, what's going on during this time? is actually the embodiment and fullness of manifestation that you're talking about where these priests are getting rich off of these very, very disruptive and disturbing things because the priest right now is commercial consumerism that overhypes a day that has nothing to do with worshiping and praising Hashem. Just like... It seemed like these calves and everything was like all cool and like, you know, great, this will be good and you can go bless Hashem. And it's like, no, what is the source of everything that is going on right now? I literally have one of my lead supervisor type people looking at me today as he's warming up his lunch. He's just like, yeah, you know, Xmas is here now, so I got to eat the cheap stuff and times are hard and I'm like, Times are already hard. Like, what are you talking about? I didn't say this this to him, but I'm looking at the fruit of what's happening. It's not even the 25th of November yet. And this is already, like, hyped up to the extreme. It actually started pretty much uh, back in the summer or maybe October 31st. But it's interesting how they're connected. But, I mean, this is a very disturbing... uh, unspoken of no one really wants to talk about it there's probably a lot of off buttons going on right now so that's cool but the truth is if you got a bunch of priests like manipulating the situation here and redirecting service that should go to Hashem they're they're taking all of that redirected uh, worship and avoda and all that that goes with it, and they're turning it into something that is actually, like, destroying the people. Yes. You know, and, and the little calves, you know, to think of, they're seeing these images of someone who should be feeding them. And it's like, no, I'm not going to be able to feed you. But I'm going to make these people rich. You know, I'm not going to take care of you. And it's like all these toy drives and things like that you're feeding people something that's not going to sustain them. It's like, it's great to get people toys and things like that. But if they're starving children, what are they going to really do with a remote control car? You know? So like, it's, it's really just kind of a very unfortunate, disturbing thing. And I just wanted to bring that up with the overlay of what you're talking about. Cause sometimes having that point of reference, I think is very healthy, even though I really, I don't like talking about this right now, but we, we have to, we're, we're here. If we're, if we're serious about what we're learning from this Hofstra portion, we have to grab hold of this and, and just, you know, for, for what it's worth. So just want to encourage us all that, you know, we really stand firm with the light and it's beautiful that we have Hanukkah, not as a replacement, but as something to transform the darkness. Darkness is not there for us to replace. Darkness is not there for us to be scared of. Like the fact that we get Hanukkah during this time is a point of being able to say, listen, there's a lot of deception. There's a lot of disturbing things that are going on. There's a lot of idol worship and false worship going on. What should be going to Hashem is being like reverted and detoured at best. You know, or at the least, there's actually way more. But if you look at the essence of Hanukkah, it's about taking all of that and and returning it to Hashem, like taking what was redirected and returning it. That's why Hanukkah is called rededication. Yeah. Hanukkah. That's all I gotta say. And toda for letting me drop that.
1: No, no, I love it, love it. Uh, the whole the practical insight. You know, Hanukkah, the Neskadol. A a great miracle. Mm. And you mentioned the Feast of Saturday and Elia. What came before that? What came before that was Hanukkah. Hanukkah was the light that was established before even the root of Xmas and all the other pagan services that got compiled in it. Why? To be the light that would deliver us out of it. And so we...
0: The antidote before the sickness. Yes.
1: Yes, oftentimes, the first and last. And I, I say the first because it precedes Saturday Nile. And I say the last because i say that, that festivals that we will have that will never go away are Hanukkah and Purim. And so there's this, this whole idea with that. And we mentioned before that they would take out their gods and kiss them when I heard their names. And so literally this is what a lot of people are doing who, who claim to, to believe in the Mashiach of Israel, uh, Yeshua, and yet they they do something that's something that's so contrary to everything ever taught. And so if you want to redeem kissing the idol of an uh, Xmas tree, or the idol of a reef, or the idol of consumerism, then why not kiss, kiss in the sense of experiencing of, of uh, intim- uh, sort of intimacy with a Hanukkah experience instead.
0: Oh, Amen. Thing, or
1: any Yom any Tov any, any actual biblical Yom Tov or rabbinical Yom Tov right. is a way of making a tacoon for that past experience actually the Hoshia actually hints on this idea because what I mentioned what hey, I heard you mentioned several times yes um, he hints on this idea what what I me- heard you mention several times was this idea of being fed whether that's physical food or whether that's on like consumerism and products and, and money and wealth and and uh, toys, and you know, the, the thrill of, of giving and getting a gift. He, he says in uh, chapter 13, Pasuk 6 uh, When the Jews arrived in it. their pasture in Eretz Israel, which was a land of abundance, for it had been well cultivated by the Canaanim, the Canaanites, they became satiated since they were full and lacked nothing. Mm. Their hearts became proud, therefore they forgot me. I'll repeat that, that part of that verse again. They became satiated since they were full and lacked nothing. Mm. When one person lacks nothing, commentary, he is inclined to become conceited and do as he pleases. As our sages state, a full stomach leads to sin. So wow. we'll sign up. This is one of the reasons why we say Bir Hamazon, the blessing after we eat, oh, So we're man. satiated, and we say this blessing to remember hey, it's from a shim. Don't 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 think you own the whole world just because you you had a good meal.
0: That's right. <laughs> you know?
1: But it's the whole idea when we become satiated that we become arrogant and forgetful of Hashem, and that might not just be in accordance with food. It it could be this whole idea of like you're saying consumerism and the whole idea of Christmas and getting gifts and this and this. You're you're completely feeding feeding this and like almost this this addiction, this this instant high, if you will, of of getting something, the newest this or this or that or whatever it is, and and this is what he warns them about.
0: And, you know, we're talking about tikkuns all night right now. And Isn't yes. it interesting that Jewish halakha teaches when it is a yom tov yes. to try to buy something new?
1: Oh, yes. Like, literally yeah, for yourself,
0: maybe for your uh-huh. spouse, maybe for your children,
1: uh-huh.
0: somebody else. I mean, specifically at Purim, we do the, the Purim drive where we Give Zadaka to someone less fortunate, like, out of all, I mean, there are so many different points in the Jewish calendar where it's like, where's the Zadaka going today, you know, and and daily, and then for your weekly Shabbat, if you get something new during the week, you want to wear it the first time on Shabbat. And so if you are in the flow of the Jewish lifestyle, the Jewish calendar, literally walking and abiding in Mashiach, I mean, following Torah, I mean, abiding in Mashiach, um, sorry, 40 and slip, you know, it's interesting. You don't have to wait till one point in the year where there's chaos, scheduling and parties and drunkenness, heartache, suicide rates spiking you don't have to wait for that one time in the year for, for gifts, for, for joy, for, hap- for true happiness. That can happen in the most meaningful ways throughout every day of the calendar. Like I just think that's incredible that it's in Judaism already that you're going to get gifts, that you're going to give gifts. It's not about getting, we always say it's better to give it and receive, but it's actually best to do both because that's how Hashem is. Hashem is like, you know, that letter stomach, that's like super important. You know, it's all about the one who gives and the one who receives, because there can't be any giving if there's not any reception. And if you're going to be only a person that gives at some point, it breaks down because you're going to feel bitter that you're just giving and you're not receiving and right. the woe is me and all that kind of stuff but if you're also receiving then you become the generation of the flood because they were so blessed and it was just like yeah but no one shared so they stole so anyway for what it's worth there's a lot of tacoons going on
1: make them well, that's what this life is about make making tacoons.
0: all right well I feel like uh, it threw us way off track, but um, whatever track is left. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll kind of,
1: kind of zoom in, touch on, hit them some some uh, little points real quick, and then kind of make our way towards the 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 conclusion of the half Torah. I mean. So it says in verse thirteen, talking about intense pains, like a woman in labor mm. will overcome him talking about the Tim tribes. He is an unwise son and that he does not foresee the result of his sin. He will not be able to withstand the agony of the time of childbirth. And this question brought down says, why is the punishment liking to pains in childbirth? Why? And the answer is that labor pains result in the birth of a new life. And so similarly, Jews undergo exile and suffering to ensure their spiritual rebirth and continued existence. And so we have what Mishiach says about being being born again and i think a part of that is is accepting the suffering with him man and so there's just a real, real, real quick touch on that that the whole being reborn is as as rabbi have said a thousand times is a completely jewish concept mm. uh, there's in verse 15 it mentions this east wind and an east wind is always Synonymous with like this uh, wind of punishment and judgment. There's the same wind he, he brought to drown the Egyptians in Yamsouf. Suf. Right?
0: You don't want an east wind. <laughs>
1: don't want an east wind. Just say, just, if the east wind comes, just say no. You're right. Or accept it as part of your takoon. How about oh, that?
0: Oh, got to be born again.
1: Born again. All right. Uh, so, this next part, we're going to 14 7.
0: You do need to get some help for uh, that born-again and birth pains, new creation tie-in. That you, wow.
1: Like I said before, I'm getting my help right now.
0: <laughs> 14. 14.7. Fourteen
1: the Jewish nation's twigs will spread out. His magnificence will be like that of an olive tree whose leaves remain moist all year and his fragrance like Mount Lebanon that is covered mm. in the herbs and trees. Not. And then, so there's this idea, there's all these different metaphors used to describe Hashem's kindness to us in the future. The constant blessings, just as all trees, leaves remain fresh all year round. This is a reward promised promise for those who do teshuva. Amen. And there's a more profound explanation offered by our sages. Which twigs and branch out, which twigs will branch out and increase? This blessing is given specifically to call Israel's young men in their merit of abstaining from sin, the Jewish youth, become of its because of its high moral standard, is compared to oil from olive trees and oh. the herbs from Mount Lebanon. Ooh. And in a note, it actually mentions this idea, uh, the offshoots, the word for the offshoots, symbolizes the young men, which are likened to olive trees in Mount Lebanon. Why are they likened to olive trees in Mount Lebanon? Wow. Olive trees supplied the oil for the menorah in the Beha Mikdash. Their impeccable moral co- conduct causes Jewish young men to radiate light, just as the menorah and the Beit Hamikdash. Oh my! Goodness. And so, the whole idea of being the light of the world and having someone related to uh, the menorah, or <laughs> as it continues to say, Levanon is another name for Beit Hamikdash, <laughs> um, because it comes from Levanon, uh, levnon, like uh, Le- Levan to whiten. Right. right, the left nun, the place that cleanses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so uh, the Beha Mikdash, where sacrifices were offered to atone for sins, the spices of Lebanon are the incense that was burned in the Beha Mikdash. Oh. And so, since this was a holy spot on earth, our sages compared the morally elevated Jewish youth to things pertaining in the Beha Mikdash. And so, this whole idea of being related to either the menorah or different elements in the Beha Mikdash, that's not a foreign concept. Uh, that is a very very solid Jewish idea is brought down by Chazal and our rabbis, and so when we go into especially the Vayikra and certain portions of Shemot, when we talk about these instruments of Bahamktash and we begin relating to him to Yeshua mashiach and oh. their allusions to his mission, like that is that is a very well grounded jewish idea that 's nothing that 's nothing from uh Christianity
0: thoroughly so, makes pure and holy, yes. <laughs> The incense
1: drop, you know. Incense. <laughs> I sense that coming.
0: Ah. Uh, <laughs> you smell me on this.
1: <laughs> Pasuk 8. Pasuk Those right. who are in Hashem's shadow will rest. They will revive like grain and blossom like their vine. Their mention will be like those of the superior wine of Mount Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Simply explain Pasuk contains additional blessings for the Jewish nation that returns to Hashem. It will be gathered in by Mashiach, Yeshvu. Come on. Yeshvu and will live under Mashiach's guidance, Yashveh oh, its God. dead will be revived, mm. yachahu d'agin, by that Dagin, it will be showered with goodness, mm. KaGafin, its memory will be constantly before Him, like the blowing of trumpets, shofars, when the wine offering is poured out in the Beit HaMikdash, Zekro Kayin Levonon.
0: Hey, A- 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 he, that was amazing on that reading.
1: thank you. I say just how I teach that this verse refers specifically to the righteous Garim converts who join the ranks of the Jewish people. Cool. This is hinted in the phrase yeshve, Those from other nations who will return to rest in the shade of the Shekinah will become like grain. In what way? They'll become as essential to the Jewish people as grain is to the human diet, or they'll become proficient in Gemara that is called grain, since it is vital for a Jew's spiritual sustenance. Uh, There's another little note on that. read real quick. they talk about, they will blossom like a vine. They'll become an integral part of the Jewish people who are compared to a vine. The whole idea of being grafted in is definitely a Jewish concept. Mm By Chazal, not just, not just some rabbi. This is Chazal, <laughs> the sages, which is not applied to every, every rabbi, very specific, elevated people.
0: Mm.
1: Also, they will become proficient in the Midrashic part of the Torah that is likened to the fruits of the vine. Their mission is like the wine of Lebanon, Hisham says. The Garim's new Jewish names are as pleasing before me as wine offerings on the altar. And mention this idea that comforts cannot incorporate their father's name into their own, oh. for they may sever all connections with their non-Jewish families, as far as like, their, their identity is mm. concerned. Mm. They're now fully a Jew in the, the fullest respect, mm. as rabbis often have seen. Consequently, they are dear to Hashem in their own right. They are likened to the wine offered on the altar, whose importance is due to its superior quality, and not to the fact that it stems from a particularly distinguished plant, like Arba, one, two, the Feret Zion at Yosef. Also,
0: get you some.
1: Yes. Wow. So this whole idea in there, and of course we, we mentioned this half Torah. It connects to Le- Levan is in this half Torah, right?
0: Yes, he is. Oh, if you if
1: you look at that, uh, Kal Lebanon, Kal right? Like Lebanon, mm-hmm. this is it has Levan's name in it. But with an additional three letters, oh, and those additional three letters would be kaf, vav, and nun, which would have the gematria of seventy-six. This is the same gematria as aved, oven like the whole, like a servant. Really? Yes. Like Abraham is known as a servant, and he brought the converts in. So it's almost like this idea of redeeming. Lavin, like Lebanon,
0: Oh, right? my God. And
1: so God. he towards the end, even though, Ephraim, you've did all these wicked things, even though this is your root, even though this is where you're at currently, and he then goes and talking about Lebanon how you can redeem all this evil within yourself, this Laban who you've been spending time with, who you've been made in the image of, instead of so the image of your father who is in heaven, instead of him, you've been made in the image of Levan, that can be converted, that can be whitened, that can be cleansed. You can go back to being aved. You could go back back to being servants of a shim like your forefathers. Mm-mm-mm. And even the first time it's used, it's used for Cain working the ground. What? He'll be a worker of the ground. This is the first time aved, at least in that those three letters Ayn, bet, or bet, dalet, wow. is used. Wow. And of course, him working the ground. Reminiscent of the curse of Adam, who has said, You will have to till the ground. That's right. Uh, you have to bring forth bread from the sweat of your brow. Mm-hmm. And so the whole idea of being a, a servant is incorporated with this idea of bringing about these takoons that we've been talking about so often in this half court.
0: Oh, man.
1: So this is also ways he's talking about the converts coming in from the other nations. Because they came from where? If you, except for the Jewish people, except for the Jewish people. Every other nation, if you trace your lineage back far enough, your father was an idolater. Ooh. Your father said, right in the face of Hashem, and says, I'm gonna serve these fake things. I'm gonna serve falsehood. I'm gonna serve shecher falsehood. And so that's really the beauty of the Jewish people. You're looking for tradition, you're looking for some wisdom to look after, then you really need to look into these Jewish sources, the Jewish teachings, because their forefathers We're not idolaters. There's been time periods when we did get steeped in idolatry of the nations. But you run back through history, all the way back from the oral tradition that was given to Adam and Shem and Noah uh, to the patriarchs. Like They all had this clean, pure tradition, this pure truth, this pure interpretation of Torah and the will of Hashem. And so just a little perception for us.
0: Or a nuclear Uh, bomb.
1: (laughs) Yes. But anyway, this is also what it hints to. This whole idea of of this hopeful tune. That even though, Ephraim, you've been in the house of love and you've been in the house of idolaters. Or even if you were an idolater yourself and you're coming out of that. Hashem loves that. Because it's in your merit of turning back to him. Not in the merit of this lineage that you have. that, That he loves so much. And so, this is... Where he goes on in and a half tour, and I'll read the the final uh, couple of verses with the commentary included. Bring it. Um, home. Moreover, Ephraim will do teshuvah by saying, uh, "Let me go back."
0: Oh, okay. okay. Rewind. For
1: eight. eight. <laughs> those who are in Hashem's shadow will rest. Oh, what does that say? It what? says, "Yashuvu, yashvet, betollo." Right. Um, yeah, uh, you. Yeah, those who are in Hashem's shadow. <laughs> will rest. Oh, so shadow is a good thing. So the shadow of things to come?
0: Okay. Uh, uh, but, wow. Sorry, sorry,
1: That was a, a shameless wow. plug.
0: Wow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no more referencing than read your Bibles. No. <laughs> oh,
0: my word. will
1: revive <laughs> like grain and blossom like the vine. Their mention will be like that of the superior line of Mount Lebanon. Moreover, verse 9, moreover, if Ephraim will do teshuva by saying, what further blessing do I have with idols? Then I will answer all they ask of me. I will look after them. I will be like a fresh cypress tree that bends its most branches to the ground. I will descend from heaven and be close to you to help you. Your fruit, meaning your success, will be due to me. Cool. I like Yaakov who came to Lavan with absolutely nothing. Oh. And Hashem brought him wealth. Man entirely from himself so he's reminding them you get to be like your father you have a chance to be like your father return to me return to me i'll give you everything i'll give you success and wealth just like yaakov previously Hoshea summoned the king of Yehuda to do teshuvah. now he addresses a last call to ephraim the kingdom of the ten tribes if only if its inhabitants were to leave their idols hashem would come to their help and then our last basuk, our last verse verse 10 he who is wise will understand the following words, and he who thinks logically will comprehend them. And these are they. Hashem's ways are just. The sadaqim will walk in them, and they will be given eternal life. Oh, While the Reshinim stumble and refuse to go in those ways, therefore they will be delivered to the Kehinnom. So, this kind of where the, the half Torah closes with this recap of, remember back to your father, who you were so close to. Remember who he was, you know, and for the the Jewish people, that's Yaakov, of course. And, you know, for the convert, I would say it's Yaakov-a-well, since the the halachic ruling is you can say, you know, Bin Avraham, you know, Bin Yitzhak, Bin Yaakov, but also your ultimate father, your ultimate source for for all people is Hashem, the creator of all mankind. That's right. And so that's where he kind of closes a return to come back into the image of your father, walk back in your father's ways. And remember that Hashem is just, and remember there is reward and there is punishment, which is what we're to focus on in the second paragraph of the Shema. And so, wow, kind of where he closes out.
0: Well, what do we know, what do we know? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, uh, I, I feel like we've practically taken away, like, everything and, uh, I really, man, I'm just mind blown by everything that you brought out. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know where else we could possibly go unless, uh, unless I can drop a few lines from one of my songs.
1: Of course. Um, <clears throat> would you, would you mind if I, uh, two things?
0: I don't mind at all. Cause, uh, I just wanted to, uh, overlay with what you're saying that you know about this whole Hofstra like just make sure we knit this all up with the beautiful tapestry that it is so Man. after you
1: alright so we've been talking a lot about returning back to the image of your father and, and remembering your father right and so I figure a good practical takeaway <clears throat> would be going to Pirkei Avot oh. the wisdom and the
0: ethics of the fathers seriously and
1: Yes, we mentioned two things. We mentioned this idea of not judging them for their idolatry because there's this heavy yetsahara on them, and the whole story of Yeravam and Shlomo. And so let's let's go to Avot, uh, Mishnah Avot one six. Mm. Yehoshua ben Barachaya and Natanai of Arbel received the Masorah, the tradition from them. Yehoshua ben Barachaya says, "Make a teacher for yourself. Purchase a friend for yourself." And judge every person, every person, kol ha'adam favorably. Wow. And so, you know, when we read these stories, we're not meant to be judgmental of these people. The, the Torah is highlighting their faults for reasons, highlighting their faults for us. As we mentioned before, the, the, the prophets were recording here because their words would be for every generation, not just their own. Amen. I so let, let their humiliation not go on not, but let it be for restoration for us. And let us always judge people favorably, King, as our God Father God. says. And the last last one, vote Mishnah 118, Rabban Shimon ben Gamaliel says, The world stands on three things, oh. upon justice, mm. upon truth, mm. and upon peace. As is stated, judge with truth, justice, and shalom in your gates. And so we didn't have to touch on this half to a lot, but there's a lot more of, I mean, we did mention the rebuke part. There's also this idea of this punishment that's going to come, this conversation between uh, the Midrash mentions this conversation between Yaakov and Esav and how Asav is trying to murder his brother. And Yaakov responds that there's going to be punishment coming your way. Towards the end, we hinted also at, a, at there's going to be Gehinnom for those who don't turn back in my ways. We have to remind ourselves that, yes, there's this idea of judging people favorably, and there's this idea of speaking well of others but there's also the idea of setting the stage for that. And in part that setting up like they says one of the things holding to one of the things that the world stands on which is justice. Right. If there's there's any any court, any bedeen or or anything or even just within people, we must judge justly. If there's a situation and there needs to be rebuke, then that needs to happen. And if it doesn't, people, you know, they they they're, they're, they're kind of like water they'll or electricity or anything, they'll go through the path of least resistance. They're going to keep on with those habits unless they're corrected. And so justice is extremely important of the world and the whole idea of truth, of a met, you know, this, this whole idea of being, being honest with who you present yourself to be, who you say to be um, inside and outside. And it kind of hints at this idea of like Shalom comes after these two things. Wow. Almost like if you, if you are establishing justice, if you're not allowing those in, in charge or those in, in the community to to just do whatever they want, whenever they want, if you're actually correcting them, rebuking them, you move on to allowing people to be true to themselves. Why are they actually acting like that? Get in the root. Right? Mm. Help them act in accordance with their forefather, Yaakov, who is synonymous with truth, who is the man of truth. And then you have the third pillar that's brought by this, this whole idea of the, the, the pillar of Shalom. And so if we want we want Shalom anywhere, in any situation, uh, community, home, this or that, then you have to start with correct justice, correct judgment. And you have to make sure that you are completely, that we are completely true to ourselves. And Shalom will follow.
0: Uh, man can you heat out own. Well, uh, just would like to say that these are the lyrics to, to just kind of I don't know like I said I just want to overlay. I just think the the insights, the the practicalities that are brought down tonight, I'm just gonna let you know I'm gonna re-go back over this again because this yeah, is. this is amazing, you know? So here are the lyrics to 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 without further delay the the everything. All right. So from the context of us returning, no matter how far we've gone and how alacrity is the key point of reference, returning back, who is our father? This is it. Be exalted in highest excellency. May your kingdom come and may it come quickly. Shuvu vehashivu, return and we shall return. Ken yehi hamalkut. yes, may it be your kingdom. Hashemayim Beyad, your kingdom of heaven is at hand. I am amped from a pre charge. This, what we're experiencing right now, is just a pre charge of the kingdom. Being ministers of reconciliation. So I had to get my act right, because my king is on, where I was trying to hide my sand like packed tight. Now it's Kaddish on the mic, and it's Kaddish with my life. With an Akidaban olive sheen, that's the light. The fire of Hashem, the Ash, the Torah that we shall walk in, that purifies us so that we don't have to go into the Ash of Gehenim. So, Khasis, everything that you brought down tonight, man, I'm I'm grateful to Hashem for it and I appreciate your diligence in that. And uh Hashem bless you. This is just absolutely incredible.
1: So oh man, use my Love the your your closing song. You know, I remember you saying it was a song, but you started going. I first thought it was a prayer. So I started saying amen. So, you know?
0: I mean, that, that's really what it is. I mean, you know, we, we do need to return. So Hashem, help us to do that. All right, let's close it out. What do we know? What do we know? Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu elohenu Zur Kol HaOlamim Zadik Beko Hadorot ha Haneman Ha, ha Omer Veose Ham Daber Umkayam Shekol Devarav Emet Vazerek Neeman Atahu Adonai Lohenu Vene Emanim Devareka Vedavar Echad Midvareka Akor Lo Yashu Vreham el Melek Neman Verakaman Atah. Baruch Atta Adonai Ha'el Haneiman Beko Devarav Biskut Upshem Mashiach Yeshua Amen. Well, everybody, this is it. This is the indexing of Haftarah Vyayetse. So this is Shomerman Echasis saying Shavuot Tov. Shalom.
1: Shalom.